What is your best marketing strategy? Should you do a lot of social media? You know, show pictures of your dog? <laughs> Should you do a lot of advertising or networking or do trade shows? So what is your goal? What is your messaging? You know, I think about marketing a lot because the more I live, the longer I live, the more I know, yet the more I've come to understand that I know even less than I did 20 years ago when I was not even in the marketing game, other than, you know, oh, marketing exists out there. And, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, I thought I knew the basics back then, how to find your audience, how to craft a message that resonated, how to reach them, who is the market. There were some unanswered questions, but, you know, I thought I knew the basics. The game has changed drastically since then. Uh, connectivity through the internet gives us opportunities we've never had. We've never had that before to get our message out. The ability to hone and refine your message that resonates with the smallest viable number of people to support your business means you don't need to mass market like you used to. It's much more personal. It's much more pointed. It's hopefully much more relatable. I've been listening a lot lately uh, to Seth Godin's podcast, Akimbo. I've mentioned it on this uh, show before since it started. Uh, just this last week, he released a new book called This Is Marketing. I've got my copy on order, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, out of all the people that I've paid attention to in the marketing world the past couple of decades, and believe me, there's uh, a lot of them, I think Seth kind of understands the state of play here in this crazy tumultuous time better than almost anybody. He certainly articulates it in an easy to understand way and it's a pleasure to listen to his take on all this. So if you're into marketing and understands how it works, I suggest you pick up his new book called This Is Marketing. I didn't intend to start this podcast with a plug, but there it is. It's probably a good thing. And as I mentioned, the more I learn, the less I know I really know. Uh, it certainly keeps me humble the more I learn. Hey, uh, good day to you. It's Tim Patterson, a Trade Show Guy. You're listening to the Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee video blog slash podcast. Even if it's not Monday morning, I'm glad you're listening. All right. Uh, fun stuff this week on this episode. I have an interview to share that I did with Mike Timish of Timish Marketing. Mike's a a long time Skyline exhibits marketer, uh, blogger. He's done tons of stuff for them and has a world of experience. So I thought it'd be fun to connect with him and dive into that experience. And this is how that went. I'd like to welcome to Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee, Mike Timish, who is with Mike Timish uh, Marketing. And Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on the episode and the program. I, I appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Indeed. You know, it's funny. Uh, I've run across your name a number of times in the industry, and you've been around a lot longer than I have, and I've been in for like 15, 16 years. So you must have been like a pup when you got in. How did you get into this industry anyway? I got in this industry because I was uh, looking for a, a writing job um, back in the day. I, I knew I wanted to be a writer, and I found uh, Skyline uh, exhibits. They were back then Skyline displays, and they were a small company, but growing really fast. And they needed someone to help um, really ramp up their marketing materials. So they brought me in for that, and it was off and running from there. And I was, uh, go ahead. I was very fortunate to be there early on and to be a part of the growth and to help them grow. And you were with Skyline for a few decades, were you not? Almost, so like 27 Almost. years. Wow. 27 so, years, yeah. And so, and so they were uh, mainly a manufacturer. Uh, they worked through distributors. Is that how their business model was, or am I missing something? I think uh, it's very similar to that, what it was, what it is today. I think what's different is over time, they've continued to expand their product offering and the level of sophistication of the services that they offer. So they've continued to grow 
uh, as the opportunities have been there, as their clients ask for, for more and more help. And, and you've mo moved on from Skyline, as I understand it. When, when was that? I, I did about three years ago, almost to the day. Um, okay. A little over three years ago, I retired from Skyline and spent several months off on my own, um, catching up on some home renovation projects that were way overdue and uh, riding my bike around the Twin Cities. And uh, at a certain point, I, I needed to get back in the game, be active. So uh, I started my own business, a consulting business, helping exhibitors and people who are in the exhibit industry you know, market themselves better. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was looking on your uh, LinkedIn profile and you, you got to be director of there. Uh, you know, you were, you were, you brought in half a million leads over the 25 or so years, 30 years, a uh, billion dollars in retail sales, um, largest exhibit company in America. Uh, you published a lot of white papers and books and webinar sessions. And here's the thing that struck me is you've attended over 23,000, um, uh, oh, I see. You, you, you haven't attended 23,000 exhibitions. You've had uh, sessions attended by 23,000 exhibitors. You've been to a lot of shows, I'm sure, and, and just really been involved. What, what's your big takeaway from the industry as a whole from being that involved for so long? Okay, well, the biggest takeaway is trade shows are harder than they look. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's really the biggest takeaway. And uh, uh, people don't understand how much it takes to do it right, and so they tend to do too many shows and do them poorly. And uh, if exhibitors really spent the time on doing each show right, they do fewer shows, but they get more results out of them. So that's probably the biggest takeaway. Yeah, and, and they're um, very expensive. They're just like, hey, let's go do all these shows and help the industry grow. But the, the ultimate goal is to help the exhibitor businesses grow. You know? Yeah, a number of clients I work with do one or two big expos a year, and then a lot of stuff that's either you know, tabletops or just small 10 footers. And then they have the big 20 by 30 or big Island or whatever. And so they get the big bang for the buck out of the big shows. Cause that's where a lot of the, 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 the large audiences are, but the important ones are also very small. So some of the smaller ones. Yeah. Uh, some research in the last few years has shown that the smaller shows can be some of the most profitable shows for exhibitors. Um, it's easier for them to stand out. It costs less to be there. Um, and um, they can get a lot closer uh, to their target audience, um, be it uh, especially by vertical markets. That's where some of the most success is. And then the people at the regional shows, you know, they may not make it to the national show. So it works out really well. Some yeah. people have great success at smaller shows. There is one article you wrote, which I'd like to get into a little bit. It's called the five levels of trade show marketing. And I, and I get it. You're, you're kind of approaching this from how much preparation and involvement an exhibitor gets and like the first level is inertia you just you know you show up and 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 wave at people and that's about it <laughs> and hope for the best uh is that pretty much what level one is in inertia marketing in, in your view well inertia is like uh from sciences inertia is you have momentum you just keep going based on that momentum so there these are exhibitors who are doing what they've always done they don't have a strategy they don't have measurement they just keep sailing along kind of just we go to the show and then we come back and we go to the show and they come back and they're not trying to improve anything that they're doing. It's just, Oh, woe is me. We have to go do another show and they go do it. <laughs> so second level is essential trade show marketing. And it seems like a big leap, but maybe it's not that big of a leap. You design a clear, compelling exhibit for your target audience. Uh, what, what, what is that about? Well, the, the idea is there's so much you can do at trade shows to succeed, but first and foremost, you got to have an exhibit that tells your story and tells it well. And that's, uh, you've probably experienced with a number of clients, that's harder than it sounds. So it's just that they've 
they figured out what the message is that's going to appeal to their um, target market. They know which words matter, you know, in terms of their products and the benefits and how they position their company. And they make a big, bold statement and they do it in a colorful way that gets people's attention rather than, you know, trying to publish their brochure on their display and making it look like something that an engineer designed instead of something that a, a marketer or a designer puts you. So, well, let's, it's, it's, yeah. It's like, but it's, you know, it's, it's a great starting point. I can take a little side side track here because I think uh, you probably would agree a 3D exhibit designer is a critical piece to all that. Uh, someone that really can understand your brand. A lot of people will go, go and they send you a design that's done by a graphic designer, which kind of lays out a couple of things, but that really doesn't take into account the things that you, you see in the 3D world. What's your experience there? Hey, I totally agree. Even in a 10-foot space, there's a three-dimensional element of it. A graphic designer can do less harm in a 10 by 10, but uh, even that, you know, what are you doing with a kiosk, with a desk, with a counter, with a, you know, the, the meeting space that you may try and have in there. Um, so, and anytime you get beyond that, you know, larger inlines and definitely islands, you, you need to have someone who understands the, the dimensional aspect and even the, the time, you know, how are you going to work people through the process of uh, a journey in your booth? So, yeah, there's a lot more that involved in just, uh, just the graphics. And the graphic designer may be doing things from a, a perspective that's rooted in their experience, whether it's a web page or brochures um, or ads. And a trade show exhibit is a different animal. You know, you have to design with different needs. So it, it really is. That. When I first got into the industry and I, I was talking with the designer about some of this stuff, they would talk about traffic flow. And, I, and my kind of light bulb went on. I said, oh, that's kind of one of the things that makes a difference. You actually consider the people that are going to come through this space and how they're going to react and how you want to steer them, especially in the larger spaces. And a lot of that applies to what we were, a lot we were working on were interpretive exhibits like at, at uh, visitor centers and things like that. But the concept is the same. How do you steer people through a space to get the most from it and, and what is the end result? How do you want them out of there? So, so 3D is really interesting from that. Awesome. Uh, I would say the next level you have is integrated trade show marketing that if a lot of people get there, they're actually doing really well. That's a pretty good level to be at. Uh, the target attendees with the pre-show, at-show, post-show campaign and also integrate with uh, other parts of the marketing. Uh, how's, how's that ass assessment? I, I agree. I think you're right that um, that's a really good place for people to land and some of them may never get there. And when they do, it's, it's an achievement. Um, so many exhibitors go to a trade show and they put off doing any kind of promotion because they've got all these logistical aspects of their trade shows that they have to do. They have to book the space. They have to get the booth there. They have to get it designed and built if they haven't got a, a current one. They have to make sure that they have their, uh, their booth staff there and, uh, there was a new study just out in the last uh, issue of Exhibitor about how so many exhibitors are their travel agent for their company, right? You know, they, they manage the travel and hotel for all their attendees. And they got to take care of that. And, uh, you know, there's details of the dredge and, you know, furniture and carpet, electric, cleaning the booth, all that kind of stuff. And they have to do that. So they keep putting off and putting off the promotional aspect. But uh, research, uh, again, from Skyline uh, found that, when they asked exhibitors, what do you do to be most successful? The number one thing people said was doing pre-show marketing. So it gets put off too often, but it needs to happen. So it's creating an integrated campaign that the, the message in the booth is being promoted uh, via you know, email and social media and 
direct mail and telephone and ads, whatever you need to do to get people's attention before the show, to get them to come to the show and have some kind of great offer that gets their attention. And even better is that integrated messages you're doing is tied into the messages of your marketing that you're doing on your website uh, and your uh, trade journal ads and uh, your email marketing, your social media marketing, direct mail, all the things that your corporate marketing department's already doing. So if they pull up to that level and come into that show, that integrate message, they're simply going to have more people in the booth and they're going to have a better return on investment because they're already spending so much money on the booth space and getting the people there, their, their own staff on the dredge. They spend a little bit more on promotions. They're going to separate themselves from so many of the other exhibitors at the show and um, get on the dance card of all those attendees ahead of time. So yes, it's a, it's a great thing to get to. Is, exactly. Uh, I've, I've had clients that have, have uh, upgraded to a new booth and done just even a, a modest amount of pre-show marketing. And, and at the end of the show, you know, like a few weeks later, they said, guess we had three times the amount of leads we came out of that just by doing a few things. New booth yeah. was a big part of it, but certainly doing some things ahead of time and telling people about it and what they were doing in the booth uh, was a big part of it as well. So it, it is very key. Uh, part of that is the um, at show and the post show campaign. So let's touch on that a little bit. Uh, and it kind of comes to my one of my questions, which I always like to ask is, it may be a trick question, which is more important, uh, the booth or the staff? Okay, so you got like multiple questions there. <laughs> so I'm going to go into the ad show and the post show, and then I'll go to your question. Okay. So the pre-show is really important because so many people decide ahead of the show uh, where they're going to go. But a lot of people ignore everything that's coming into their email box and all that. So then the ad show is really important for all those people who are walking the show and never paid attention to pre-show messages. And the post-show is really important because of what I call is trade show Alzheimer's. People go home from the show and they I've never heard that. everybody that they saw at the booth. They can't piece it all together. They saw 20, 30 exhibitors and someone calls them on the phone and it's different than the person who was, uh, that met them in the booth. And they're like, who are you? I, I, I vaguely remember something. And so that post-show promotion really helps tie in that messages so that your, your follow-up with your salesperson is more likely to actually work. So having said that, back to your question, what's more important, the, um, uh, the booth or the booth staffer? Um, I have to say the booth staffer. Yeah. You know, I think the booth does a, a great job. You need to have the booth, but if you don't have a good booth staffer, I've seen, you know, you throw around those numbers. I, as a the manager of a booth staff, I've seen, one uh, staffer get three, four, five times the leads of another booth staffer. And you think they're going to do the same. But what tends to happen is you get the extroverted people who you think are going to be great at it. And instead, they chat up the um, third booth staffer next to them and take them both out of the action, asking about what are we doing for dinner tonight and where did you go last night? Or they're trying to hit on the corporate marketing execs, get a little bit of extra time, FaceTime, you know, to, with these people. Um, but you get the introverts who are willing to follow process and you train them. They'll actually follow the process and take way more leads. So it's kind of a surprise. You, you said that magic word training. I think training is very important. The longer I spend in this industry, the more I realize how uh, critical that is. And there are some great uh, trainers out there that uh, know how to, uh, to guide people through the process of 
you know, qualifying, disqualifying, moving on, engaging, capturing information, asking all the right questions. Uh, it seems like uh, you probably would be involved in that at some point in your, in your career. Yeah, trainings, I think, is really key. Uh, I have done a lot of training. I, I trained our own booth staff and was happy when we made uh, Best of Show or Best Booth Staff at Exhibitor Show with that. Um, I think one of the overlooked parts of uh, the getting a better booth staff is really putting more effort into who you select for the booth staff. Mm. Um, uh, one of these uh, blog posts I once wrote is, are you, are you finally uh, willing to accept the cost of that free booth staffer? Because <laughs> people are getting, oh, we've got this show. It's in Kalamazoo. We've got a guy in Kalamazoo. We'll have him be the booth staffer. And then it's like totally unprepared and unprofessional and uncapable versus, okay, we're going to spend the grand or two to send someone on the plane to that show who knows what they're doing because we're spending 10 grand or 20 grand on the show and we want to get a return on that investment. So, um, yeah, I think show uh, booth staff selection is, is just as important as the training. Yeah. So we covered uh, inertia level one, essential level two, integrated level three, and we've got two to go. Uh, number four is experiential trade show marketing, where you leverage face-to-face with personalized experiential engagement activities in your booth. What are you thinking of here? Uh, I, I'm sure you've heard of this. It's like, this is the biggest fad uh, probably since, uh, well, includes things like AR and VR. Um, this idea that um, the trade show attendee coming in, you got to up your game to get their attention. And uh, you want to do something that is more memorable. So uh, rather than um, an integrated um, trade show marketing that is, hey, come get this pen from us or this gift, it's let's create an experience in the booth that is going to tap into the emotions of the, uh, the attendee, help create a, a stronger bond through um, an experience uh, appealing to their senses, helping them to grasp our story. You talk about the traffic flow in the booth, the traffic flow might be through a museum-like setting that tells the story of the company in ways that they're engaged in it. It's all these kinds of um, experiences and using that as the focus so that you create a stage with your exhibit and you create an experience for your attendees so they go away and they feel much better about your company and they're more likely to remember you when the show's done. And that takes a lot of planning and, and preparation and you may have to build something. You may have to bring in people that are experts at this. It's not something that just kind of comes to you and, you know, in the middle of the night, right? About, it's about not easy. It's, no, you're right. it's much it's more complicated. complicated. Yeah, it is complicated, uh, but I've seen it done really well. I, I something, what came to mind was uh, I go to this show. It's an outdoor to race uh, down at the uh, Laguna Seca racetrack down in California. And they have a lot of exhibitors there. One of them being Land Rover. Well, they build this little, uh, outdoor thing where you can actually drive a Land Rover uh, uh, around this up a hill and down a hill and around a corner, very slow, but you get a chance to experience it in, you know, a, a, a really kind of rugged sort of place. I think you would take away a great feeling from that sort of thing. I mean, you may not be able to do that like at, uh, you know, McCormick Place, but certainly outdoors, that's a great experience. So those types of things that people remember that relate to the product. Yeah, exactly. And so it's, it's more about emotions. It's more about experiences it's to boost memorability and um, to create tighter bonds. So it's, it's the, it's, it's that next level, right? So people getting to that level, that's really becoming more sophisticated. Yeah, it is quite sophisticated. And, and you say the level five is analytical trade show marketing where you've taken everything before you create and follow processes aided by measurement to continuously improve your marketing results. I, you know, 
at its very basic, uh, this to me is like counting, you're, you're counting the metrics and then knowing what those metrics are and taking them to the next level so that you compare. Uh, I'm sure it goes beyond that, but that's kind of the thought that I had. Yeah, it is. But it's, um, it's again, it's harder than it looks. We talk about our trade shows are, are harder than they look. And, and when you're trying to measure the results from your events, this is something where uh, trade show marketing, it's getting easier to measure that. But, you know, you're competing as a marketer against the person who's doing the uh, search engine optimization within your company or pay-per-click or email marketing, and they have much easier ways to measure. So even if the trade shows are producing a higher return on investment, unless you can demonstrate that, you're not going to be able to continue to do things, um, at least have the, the same level of budget. But the analytical trade show marketer, this is saying that um, you understand that everything you're doing is a big experiment for what you're going to do next. And you're measuring the results you get and comparing how well did you meet your show goals or which ones have the highest return on investment. Um, you're looking at your booth staffers and judging them for their success. You know, how many qualified leads are they taking per hour and seeing who do you want to continue as your booth staffers and who do you want to uh, decline for the next show and, and find some new staffers that can replace them. You're just always working and improving what you're doing. So, um, this is something where everything ahead of what we talked about, level one through four, maybe one show at a time. Um, but this is saying we're looking at the overall program and and wanting to be able to improve it. And to pull this off, you uh, you really need to have buy-in from your top management that they understand that trade shows um, are uh, an evolution for your company, that they're willing to let you make calculated risks and try some things and experiment and um, um, and give you basically permission to fail, um, but fail because you took a calculated risk and it worked out, and then give you authority to make changes so that you can say, sorry, I don't want that vice president staffing my booth because they don't do a good job, you know? Yeah. So yeah, they got the title, but if I bring in a, a person who's going to take leads rather than chat, I'm going to get a lot more return on investment. I'm going to boost return investment 20, 30, 40% just for that one show by swapping out. It doesn't cost us any difference. So um, that's, that's a, a different level of authority and empowerment for the trade show manager. It's like having uh, someone speak in your booth. You know, the manager of the, the product division, whatever, may be uh, very knowledgeable on it, but uh, he's not a professional speaker. And so the investment of several thousand dollars into someone that knows that can, can adapt all that and do it in an entertaining way is a good investment because you're going to get uh, a lot more people interested in the, 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 uh, what you're talking about versus what the manager is going to say because he's just not going to have that sizzle or whatever. That's, to me, yeah. an example of that. So. Yeah. So there's, there it is. Levels one through five. <laughs> it's great stuff. You know, it's interesting. Uh, let's kind of go back to the beginning. Uh, trade show marketing is expensive and it can be a big waste of money if you don't know what you're doing. But uh, the clients that I work with all have figured out at least enough to, to make it worthwhile to keep going. In fact, I remember one client saying to me, we got into trade show marketing for this simple reason, we wanted to be able to get into markets we were not currently able to get into. And it seems to me that's one of the, the big attractions of it, and it's worth the investment. I'm just curious to get your feedback on that sort of approach as to why even do trade show marketing. Um, a, this uh, One of uh, the people I've worked with in the past, he had a great line. He said, um, 
why go to trade shows? Well, what's the goal of marketing? It's to get face to face with your potential buyers, right? So you go to a trade show, what are you going to do? You're not trying to get a lead. You're trying, you're actually talking to the person and getting the lead after having that face to face interaction. Um, I think trade shows are, are continuing to be successful because, um, the face-to-face -face aspect is really key, but they're also, even though they're competing against so many more technologically driven um, marketing mediums, technology is being infused into trade shows um, so pervasively that they've really co-opted a lot of the tech. So exhibitors are using um, the latest presentation tools in their booth to get people's attention and to tell a better story, um, to tell a more tailored story. Um, they're using technology to take better leads and fulfill them right away. Um, using technology um, to create experiences that gets people's attention and, and, and connects with them emotionally. So trade shows are still successful. There's a, a new survey that came out <coughs> that uh, was a, a broad marketing campaign uh, type survey. And um, B2B exhibitors, 61% of them said their best source of leads is trade show marketing. So they still work and people continue to spend money on them and expand their budgets because of they work. Very nice, Mike. We've been speaking with Mike Timish, Mike Timish marketing, uh, long years with Skyline, but on his own doing consulting and the marketing now. Mike, it's a, a pleasure to chat with you. What's a, a good way to reach you if, if people want to find you and track you down? My LinkedIn profile is the best. You know, you okay. do search my name and that's, uh, it's got good information and uh, I can get contacted that way. Cool. Mike, it's a pleasure, and uh, I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge, uh, your long years of knowledge here. I think you're the really the trade show guy here. <laughs> With the amount hey, of stuff. You've got said. that voice, man. You've got that voice. All right. Th thanks, Mike. Uh, again, appreciate you for joining me on uh, Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. My pleasure. Thanks again to Mike Timish for being a part of this week's podcast slash video blog. Really uh, liked having him on. This week's trade show tip has a lot to do with the timeline of trade show marketing, especially timeline of a new exhibit build, it comes up on occasion. In fact, it came up very recently in a conversation I had. You know, you have your ideal timeline. You know, when you start planning a project months and months ahead, you go, hey, 12 months from now, we're going to have a new booth. Okay. Then there's reality when you work with a potential client and they haven't chosen a exhibit house to work with yet and there's 100 days left so <laughs> uh, so things get crunched a little bit then you start adjusting dates uh, this is where you start to create deadlines by backing up from the due date you start with the show let's say the show is april 1st you're 100 days out you're planning on a modest 10 by 20 exhibit that needs to be designed and built uh, first thing you have to do is determine the shipping schedule when does that gotta ship out are you shipping direct to the show or will you ship to the advanced warehouse you need those exact dates and generally, those dates are on the show website or on the show services site, such as, you know, GES or Freeman. Then you need to speak to a shipping company and have your exhibit house or have your exhibit house do that so they can figure out when does it need to ship to make those dates. So you have that hard date of when it needs to ship. And it's usually, you know, two or three weeks before the show dates, maybe more, depending on if you're shipping across country. Uh, so now you're about a month out, which puts you, if you're looking for a April 1st show, at March 1st. If you have a production time of 15 business days, that's not unusual. Maybe 15 to 18 for a uh, 10 by 20 custom build. If it's a, not a custom, it's more of a, 
you're taking something off the shelf in a sense and customizing it. Maybe it's a little less than that. But this so now brings you to about the uh, first week of February. You got graphic production that has to take place usually within that time frame. Uh, so you need to find out from your graphic designer how much time they need to create the production files for that exhibit. You need to work with your exhibit house to get the, the dimensions and all those files, the placement of all those, so they can get the messaging together. All right, so uh, during the same time, you're still in the process of probably working through the design with your 3D exhibit designer or exhibit house. So you keep backing up from those dates. We need to start this here. We need to have this done by this date. So that's kind of how that works. Knowing the time everything takes, the amount of time everything takes, is critical. Uh, sometimes these time frames can be pushed a bit, but the more they get pushed, the more that opens up the process to errors with less time to address those errors. And finally, keep in mind, dates on the calendar are closer than you think. <laughs> so uh, get as far ahead of the game as you can. It's better to start earlier than you think you need to or have that conversation with your production team before you think you need to. If you go to the project with the attitude that, yes, things can get done quickly, but there will come times when, you know, seven people need to weigh in on something and it just takes time. It'll take longer than you think. So do the best you can to get ahead of the schedule. All right, so this week's one good thing. I got to put Scruffy down to go get it because I want to show this to you. All right? All right. All right, so here's this week's one good thing. It is the uh, Beatles White Album 50th Anniversary 6 CD with the book. You know, it's kind of funny. The, the, story, the funny story is I knew this was coming out and probably... Three to four to five weeks ago, a month ago, I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna put it in my Amazon cart. I wasn't quite ready to get it, but uh, you know, I was gonna do it. So last week, Saturday, uh, about a week and a half ago from the time this is being uh, posted, <laughs> I woke up and said, you know what? I gotta tell my wife that this is what I want for Christmas. I didn't get to it because we had other things come along and it got busy and everything. And I was out riding my bike. I came back and she says, oh, by the way, your Christmas present is on the table big package there and i went wait a minute it's not even thanksgiving yet <laughs> she said yeah, go get it take a look so she knows me she knows me well um i'm having a fun time with this uh i'm a beetle fan from way back they've got uh handwritten lyrics in here all sorts of fun stuff i've already i've only listened to uh probably half of it the first two cds are remixes 2018 remixes of the entire album and there's some stunning things that come through there. So that's a lot of fun. Just different mixes, different things are brought forward that you hadn't heard before. A few things, you know, when you listen to music uh, very closely, different stuff jumps out at you at different times. A couple of other things, I was riding my bike around today and and uh, had the thing in my ears while I'm on the park trail. And I have always heard rumors, and, and I have a Beatle friend that's a big bootleg collector, and he's given me so much stuff over the years. We've heard rumors of this 12 to 15 minute version of Helter Skelter. I've never heard it. He's never heard it. It's on here. Uh, it's, and it sounds, it's, it's really weird because it starts kind of like this slow dirge thing. They're still working on what the song is. Paul is singing. Uh, finally, about halfway through, he starts to sing Helter Skelter. And then he's like, hell for leather, Helter Skelter, hell for leather. Uh, interesting stuff. And the other thing is, which I've always figured existed, but never had heard it. The story I've heard is that Eric Clapton sat down one day and 
whipped out this great guitar solo, this iconic blast of uh, great guitar playing on While My Guitar Gently Weeps, you know, his friend George Harrison's song. And I thought there's got to be some takes in it that exist that are not the final take. I mean, you've only heard about the final take. That's all you ever heard. There is one in here, at least one that I've run across, just heard, where he's kind of working out the link licks. He's got a couple of them done. He's not got the others done. There's kind of basic. And uh, yeah, it's really fun stuff. So that's this week's one good thing. Hey, uh, this is Tim Patterson, Trade Show Guy, Monday Morning Coffee. Thanks a bunch. Have yourself... A great week. Spammers. More spammers. I get spammers all the time, do you? And then what I do is block the number. Uh, but doesn't do anything. And if you call them back, it's like someone says, I didn't call.